Here's a question for you. What do you do when someone challenges your Christian faith? What is your initial reaction? If you're like me, your immediate response is to start to give an answer. It's totally natural to want to use arguments to respond to objections to Christianity. But what if there was a better way, a way that would help you not only dismantle false arguments, but also shift the burden of proof to the other person, all while disarming him or her in the process? I'm talking about asking questions and using tactics to defend your faith. Today, we're talking about how to use questions in your apologetics. You're going to learn two questions that will be super helpful in every apologetics discussion you have, as well as two other very powerful tactics for defending your faith. This is Worldview Legacy, the show that helps Christian men become the worldview leaders their families and churches need. My name is Joel Sedekase. I am a Bible teacher, a former pastor, and now I'm the president of the Think Institute. I used to defend my faith the completely wrong way. Then God changed my attitude and my approach. Now I help believers to share and defend their faith with confidence in a more biblical way and to pass it on to the younger generation. So which tactics and questions should you be using to defend the truth of the Christian worldview? When you can answer this question, your confidence and readiness to share your faith is going to go through the roof. You're going to feel more confident because you won't need to fear what the other person is going to say. Whatever they say, you will have a response ready. You will be able to model for your family what it looks like to boldly evangelize, share the gospel, and to engage in comfortable yet robust dialogue with non-Christians. And you'll be able to leave that legacy for the younger generation. Today on the show, we are joined by Greg Kokel. Greg is a Christian apologist, and he has debated New Age scholar and teacher Deepak Chopra and atheist historian of science Michael Shermer, as well as many others. He is the author of the book Tactics, a game plan for discussing your Christian convictions. In that book, Greg lays out strategic moves that you can make in conversation with non-Christians. And he's going to discuss three of those strategies, those tactics, with us today. If you've been wanting to improve your apologetic and your ability to talk about your Christian faith and to defend it with confidence, this episode is for you. And if you're looking for specific things that you can do in your next discussion with an atheist or an agnostic or adherent of some other religion, you're going to get a lot out of this episode. Specific things that we're going to talk about include, in part one, is Greg a presuppositionalist? How did Greg debate Deepak Chopra? What tactics did he use? How to debate someone with unconventional views? And then in part two, we're going to talk about how to use the Colombo tactic in apologetics, how to use the inside-out tactic, and how to use the what-a-friend-we-have-in-Jesus tactic. If after this episode you have questions or you want to discuss more about apologetics, how to leave a worldview legacy for your family, you should know about our free community. This is where you can connect with over 700 others on the same journey. You'll get biblical answers to questions, information on other worldviews, and a better understanding of the tools of knowledge and truth, logic, science, morality, and how to use these all in discussion. I'll tell you more about the group and how to get access to it at the end of the show. Well, we are speaking with Greg Kokel, and I don't want to waste any time. I want to jump right into the good stuff. Greg, let me just 
ask you this very important question. All uh, right. Who would win in a debate, Francis Schaefer or Lee Strobel? Well, that's hard because they have such different styles and they're doing different kinds of things. And they had their own impacts in their own era. Francis Schaefer uh, died in the 80s. I, I did meet Francis Schaefer and um, I was at Labrie a bit, visited there in 1976. And I know Lee, uh, he wrote the um, forward to uh, to tactics, and and they both are kind of their own kind of people. I was a student of Francis Schaeffer when I first became a Christian in the uh, early seventies, and I and he has greatly formed the way I think. And m many people consider him a presuppositionalist, but I don't think he was. I think he was an evidentialist mm. who was sensitive to presuppositions, which is the way I would characterize myself. He was a student of Howard Van Til, who was the kind of grandfather of presuppositionalism, but uh, I mean Cornelius Van Til. And yet I, I think that he was very sensitive to the concept of common ground, and and uh, and and uh, he was very tactical in his approach, and he took people seriously. And I, I think that was a had a tremendous impact on me as a young follower of Christ. And it's really, really geared my general approach. I don't know who would win in a debate. Um, <laughs> tough question, but a good one, an interesting one. I knew that you liked Francis Schaeffer. And I, I have to tell you, that's the first time I've heard anyone describe Schaeffer as an evidentialist. But the way you describe it makes a lot of sense. It stretches my own definition of evidentialism, mm -hmm. but I'm, I am glad you went there because it was a question that I wanted to ask you. I was going to save it till the end, but where do you put yourself on the, the in the different camps of presuppositionalism, evidentialism, yeah, et they're, cetera? They're, yeah, they're they're based. You, there are a lot of these different camps, but really, there's two divisions. It's presuppositionalist and everyone else. That's right. because everyone else is simple. Yes. Is, is it has follows a, a very particular theological and intellectual motif in the right. way they do the thing. There is a theology that drives presuppositionalism. All of the presuppositionalists are reformed. And so they, they want to start their apologetics where they start the theology with God. Okay. Now I, I'm reformed too, as it turns out, but I'm not a presuppositionalist and I have particular reasons. And it's, to me, it's a, Look, it's a tempest in a teapot, the way I look at it. But that's because I'm not a presuppositionalist, and so I don't have the theological convictions or the commitments that they do that make this approach so important to them. But but um, Schaefer, though, um, he believed in common ground, and he used it. And and this is not a favorite kind of topic to presuppositionalists. And um, he 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 looked at uh, a lot of things that. Presuppos presuppositionalists care about, which is the uh, transcendental arguments, like what what kind of world makes arguments necessary, makes arguments possible? Yeah. Well, it's a theistic worldview, not a non-theistic worldview. So just to argue against theism using the tools of argumentation turns out to be an argument for theism, right? Mm -hmm. So, and that's very clever. And there's different ways. That's, I think, a strength strategically, not theologically or philosophically, but strategically for presuppositionalist, but um, that can be employed by evidentialists like myself. So I, I, I consider myself like Schaefer, um, and I actually don't know how he would personally describe himself or would have given this debate, but it's clear reading his writings that he says the kinds of things that some presuppositionists would never be comfortable saying in light of their convictions about how to do apologetics. And so that's why I would consider him um, you know, a, a, an evidentialist who is sensitive to presuppositions. And that's where I'd put myself. That's really fascinating. I got into trouble recently in one of the presuppositional apologetics 
groups on Facebook, and I do consider myself a presuppositionalist, mm-hmm. but I've been heavily influenced by Schaefer and heavily influenced by John Frame, and John Frame himself says he's not a very good Vantillian. And so hmm. I expressed some views in this group that just brought down, it was like Samson uh, pulling the, the pillars apart and brought the whole house down, and I ended up leaving the group. because I'm like, I have to focus on other aspects of life other than just responding to everybody in this group. Uh, uh, yeah. But um, that's very, very interesting. I'm, yeah. I appreciate how you explain that. Um, when I read Tactics, I found it to be incredibly amenable to me as a pre-supper. I, I will say, Greg, I went into this expecting to, to have red ink all over it. And, and uh, well, that's as a, as a presupposition. Sure, a book is bleeding when you're done with it. That's right. right that's right. But man, I found so much. I mean, I, I will say I barely even marked it up just because I was enjoying it so much oh, good. as I was reading. Okay. And when, uh, what's the timestamp for when you debated Deepak Chopra? I think that was, um, but I'm trying to think I got it somewhere here. Um, I probably 15 years ago. Okay. Maybe 20, 2008 or something like that. Yeah. And that's, I did that for Lee when Lee does TV show. Yeah. And uh, we were, it, Lee was in one sound stage here in LA and I was on another sound stage surrounded by curtains and that I was separated because Deepak was on the East coast. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, Lee didn't want me and Lee to be sitting together. So it sounds like it's two against one. And so we were in separate sound stages and that gave the, I don't know if, you, if you've seen the debate, but mm-hmm. you were separated out. It's more like fair play for Deepak. Yeah. Uh, it didn't go well for Deepak as it turned <laughs> out. Um, and it was no, it did not. No, it did well, not. It was supposed to be just a 20 minute interview. And I knew that because the way Lee was doing is he did these three 20 minute segments and patched this one hour thing with different people. And so I'm carrying on interacting with Deepak and, uh, and I'm thinking this is going a lot longer than I thought it would should go. And so I just was taking advantage of the time and making my case and engaging. And and uh, finally, um, the hour was up, essentially. And what Lee did is he just kept the cameras running. And then uh, after we were all done, he broke through the curtains from the other soundstage. He said, oh, man, I can't believe it. We just kept it going. We're going to do a whole show just on this. And uh, and so that's what he did. But uh, it was a great opportunity. And um, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I, it's, I think it's an interesting interaction with probably the best known New Age guru in the world still today. He sold 20 million books. In fact, that was the number that he said when we did the debate. 20 million. Wow. And uh, it was an interesting little point in the conversation because he was like a lot of people. He complains that Christianity, Christians think they're right and other people are wrong. And so that was the detail in the uh, debate. And I said, well, Dr. Chopra, and I always called him Dr. Chopra. I didn't call him Deepak, which I could have, but I didn't want to play into his brand. I wanted to be completely uh, respectful hmm. in, and uh, and not play to his his brand, the strength. So I didn't call him Deepak. But I said, Dr. Chopra, um, you've written a lot of books. So you sold a lot of books. And he's, and then he says 20 million. He offered the number. Oh, okay. Thank you very much. <laughs> All right. You don't sell 20 million books writing about things that you don't think are true. Hmm. That was the point against. The irony is, is he, he was promoting a book uh, uh, at the time, 
And I wish I had it in my lap. I could have pulled it up. But the book was titled Love is the Way. Oh, wow. So here I am. He's chastising me because I say there's one way. And he has just published the book that says there's one way, his way. (laughs) <laughs> but that uh, but the general issue became a, a detail of the of the, of the, the conversation. And uh, the thing with Dr. Chopra is, is that and if you've seen him in other venues, nobody takes exception with him. He's never, ever gets pushback, um, partly because his theological view is obscure. It's kind of Eastern and he can talk a lot of spiritual stuff, but it's kind of hard to know what he's actually saying. I'm not saying this disparagingly of the Dr. Chopra. He's a brilliant guy, but but his his he, there's a lot of religious words and spiritual sounding sentences, and it's not clear what to make of it. And you can see the other when he's on Larry King. Larry King is kind of thinking, oh, next. And he'll go to this other guest because he doesn't know how to respond. So Chopra never had to stand up against anybody that would push back. In this case, he got pushback. And uh, like I said, it did not go well for him as it turned out. Why did um, you Why did you debate him? Why, why did you decide to do that? Well, I had an invi- invitation from Lee and Lee was a friend. And, and I mean, it was an honor to be asked to do this. And uh, it was an opportunity. So um, if I have a capability, there's a, let me back up. There's a proverb. It says in chapter three of Proverbs, it says, uh, do not uh, hold back from doing good when it's within your power to do it. Okay. Or something to that effect. Chapter three of Proverbs. And so that's kind of an operating principle for me. It's like, well, I can invite it to do this. Um, I think I, I'm up to the task. I'll do my prep and get ready. Um, and uh, in God will use it presumably if I step out. It's kind of hard for me to campaign for other people to step out also if I'm not willing to step out as an example. And and so I did. I didn't know entirely what I was going to be up against. I do know that there were a lot of people on the, on the secular um, crew of the film work that was working with Lee that were big fans of Chopra. And they stayed behind, even if they weren't working that day, to see the interview. Because they were there rooting their their uh, guru on, and they were not happy when they left about hmm. the it turned out. Now, I, I don't. I'm not trying to wave my flag here. Um, people can watch the video; it's on YouTube, and, and they can judge for themselves. All I did was some ordinary stuff. I pressed some points. I didn't let him get away with making the kinds of claims that are not sound. In fact, there was one point he was making a claim about the Bible. And dismissive of its historical reliability. And I, I said, well, wait a minute, Dr. Chopra, this is my field. And what you just said is, let me give you a line of thinking about how this, he's late dating all the Gospels. And, and I'm saying, there's good reasons to believe they're early. And uh, I asked him, well, where do you get, where, do you, where are you getting your information here? He says, Newsweek. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Now, I, now, I'll tell you what came into my head, and I didn't say it, which will be for obvious reasons because it would have been impolitic and impolite. But I said I, I could have said, uh, Dr. Chopra, is that where you get your medical information too? No, I didn't say that. Right. But it came to mind. Yeah. But it would have been an appropriate thing. How do you sure. get on national TV and then make claims about the Bible based on it, it, authoritative, um, dogmatic claims, Yeah. dissing scripture? Because you read something in Newsweek. Okay, can, can anyway, but I, I didn't get my information from Newsweek, so I was able to give substantive responses. He did not know what to do with them. For a Christian who finds themselves in that kind of 
discussion where you realize this person believes things that don't fit into any of the major categories. Mm-hmm. How do you respond, handle the discussion without um, without being adequately prepared in advance through your world religions class? Right, right. Excellent question, Joel. And the answer is sometimes you can't. Sometimes if you're not adequately prepared and the thing is weird, you, you don't know where to go. And so that end of issue. All right. Mm-hmm. However, um, this it, I'll say something specific about my specific uh, preparation for uh, for that particular debate in just a moment, because um, you can't go in. You got to respect your opponent. You can't if you think their ideas are are foolish. They're not well grounded and all that stuff. And it all may be true, but you cannot go in without respecting your opponent because they hold a position where they hold because they they got there. You know, they have capability, skill, whatever, and you can get your head handed to you on a platter if you're not careful. All right. And this is the, why debates are um, I don't like them. I actually don't do them anymore. My, I just got an offer to do a debate uh, last week. And, and I said, I'm, those, those days are over. Uh, it's too much work right now. I got my hands full with other projects. Um, but I, I logged my time in you know, about 10 debates over the years. And uh, this was one of them with DPAC. And so if you find yourself um, caught up short information wise, you don't understand. Well, you know, it makes it a lot harder. Now, if you're using the tactical game plan, there's three steps to the game plan. And the first two steps, you're gathering different types of information by asking questions. And so this is an excellent time to get into step one and step two and, uh, ask, okay, what do you mean by that? It's a clarification question. And the second one is, how did you come to that conclusion? It's 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 an asking. It's a request for justification for the view. Now, um, if if I don't really understand the view well, I'm going to ask a lot of the first kind of question, flesh it out for me, cash it out. But I will say it's interesting. We started talking about Schaefer because I think what Schaefer's instruction did for me is it gave me conceptual categories to assess. Okay, and I'll tell you one of the most powerful things, and this shows up in the book in both the the first edition and the tenth anniversary edition. And I mentioned the tenth because I added a chapter that was based more on Francis Schaeffer stuff. So I've got a tactic called taking the roof off, which is a Schaeffer move. That's what he calls it. So I call it the same thing, and I give him credit, and I show my application. But then in this this tenth anniversary edition, there is a chapter uh, called Inside Out. And inside out is a is a uh, it's a tactical maneuver that trades on something that I learned from Schaefer. And here is Schaefer's basic um, um, insight. He said, um, "People are turns out, as a matter of fact, are made. They have to live in the world that God made, and they are made in the image of God. Yeah. If Christianity is true, then they live. This is God's world." Yeah. Okay, and by the way, very kin now to a presuppositional a look at things. This is God's world. Okay, the, God's world is not our religious view. God's world is the way reality is structured. That's okay, right. so I'm not just talking about our point of view versus other people's point of view. If we're convinced our point of view is true, that means it's accurate to the way the world is. Story of reality, right? And title of a book I wrote. So I'm just throwing that out. Just saying. yeah, throw it out. It's, it's the way reality is structured, okay? So that means if, an, if somebody is rejecting the Christian worldview at some level, they are rejecting reality. Yeah. 
And reality is going to bite them in the butt somewhere along the line. Okay, they're mm-hmm. going to bump into reality. Reality is what injures you when you don't take it seriously. Okay, <laughs> yeah. uh, and I have a talk called "Bumping into Reality," which is a, a talk where I'm dealing with atheism, where there are a bumps of reality that atheists can't make any sense of, and we can. Okay, so and that's what the nature of the talk. But I'm trading on this concept um, that that Schaefer uh, introduced to me and really found a home in my mind conceptually. It helps me to understand things. The second one, first, we live in God's world. And therefore, if you deny Christianity, you're, you're going to deny some feature of reality. And, and it's, it's going to be evident. It's going to come out. It's going to come out in your conversation, you know. And then um, if you're consistent with your foreign worldview, okay, and that's what happens. Uh, everybody complains about the problem of evil, but then you've got philosophers who, atheistic philosophers who are careful thinkers that say, look, it, there is no such thing as evil. Yeah. Because it's just molecules clashing in the universe. So there's anyway. And so we see this conflict I mentioned with Richard Dawkins, where he says no evil. And then he says God's evil. Wait a minute. Okay, what's it going to be? You got a foot in two worlds. You can't play it in both ways. Now, I noticed that because of Schaefer's approach. And there's something else that another kind of angle on this whole point, And that is not only do we live in God's world, but we are also human beings made in the image of God. Okay, now this means there's a bunch of stuff that's already built in, okay? And this is, all the precepts are going to be happy with this. There are things that are built into us that God built in. The sensus divinitatus, okay, yeah. Roman one, sense of divine, Calvin. And, uh, uh, and we are suppressing the truth and unrighteousness, okay? But when, we're not, when they're not consciously suppressing, that is when they're not guarding turf, it's going to come out. Yes. It's going to come out. Okay, so watch this line. Okay, the relativist says there is no objective morality. It's just a matter of personal opinion. So it's wrong for you to push your morality on me. Right. Okay. now embedded in that sentence is a contradiction. Yeah. If he's right about the first part, he cannot be right about the seven. It cannot be wrong for me to force my morality on him if morals are simply subjective. Okay, so in the first case, he's speaking from his false philosophy. In the second case, it is the image of God in him that's coming out because he's a he's a common sense moral realist. Now, his assessment, his moral assessment wasn't accurate, but that he was making an objectivist kind of moral assessment is a function of the fact that he's made in the image of God and knows morality is real. And, and Dawkins did the same thing. Now, these are conceptual con, uh, elements that I learned from Schaefer that equip me to deal with any period of time. Mm-hmm. So the postmoderns come around. How do we deal with postmoderns? How are you going to deal with the whole chain? Uh, here's the clue. They live in God's world and they're made in the image of God. They can, Amen. what I say at the end of that chapter, the inside out chapter, so they can run from God, but they can't run from themselves. Mm-hmm. They can run from God, but they cannot run from some. It's all built in already. And if we're alert to that, then we can trade on that in conversations. This is one of the best conversations about presuppositional apologetics <laughs> that, that I've had in a while. This is, a, uh, but this is why I'm saying, Greg, I was, I'm reading the book and I'm like, okay, here I am on page 180, how reductios work. And I'm like, and I know it's, it's very Schaeferian as Schaefer talks about uh, pushing your discussion partner towards the inevitable conclusion i'm, I'm using it in my own reductio word. right yeah he's doing a reductio and and a reductio ad absurdum 
Yeah, and so it's just, man, I'm I'm loving it. When we're talking about strategy, Greg, it can be tempting to, for a lot of Christians, it can be very tempting to want a list and apologetics catechism. If they ask this, you say that. Mm-hmm. If step by step, and yet on page 29 of Tactics, you say not to let the catchphrases do the work that careful, thoughtful conversation should be doing instead. Where, mm-hmm. how, how do we prepare um, and have ready answers without resorting to catchphrases when there is such a wide expanse of different viewpoints out there? How do we adequately prepare if catchphrases aren't the answer? <clears throat> well, I think one one way to prepare is you kind of have to narrow the field down. Uh, I'm a generalist, um, but and so is like somebody like Lee and Frank, Frank Turek and uh, Jay Warner. We're all kind of generalists. Then you got Stephen Meyer, who I've known for over 30 years, and and he's he's the deep dive in the science stuff, and he's magnificent. And so um, that's where he spends the majority of his time. So he's he's got his lane to use Jim's Jay Warner's language. I got my lane, okay, and we each kind of have our own lane. Now, if you're no know what your lane is, or you just want to get better at this, then uh, then choose something, some issue that is the trouble for you right now. If you're dealing with this challenge, maybe science is the challenge right now. Challenge you personally, or challenge from your friends. Okay, there's where you grab one of Stephen Meyer's books, or someone like him from the Discovery Institute. I think those guys are great, and uh, and then do that, and then. I, I, that's the way I did it. I jumped from topic to topic. I, I, I thought, okay, I, the problem of evil is a problem. I've got to figure out, I got to work this out. I want to work out a talk and make it happen. And, and I worked a talk out in the eighties and I still give them the t- same talk. Uh, but I've now I've added some new angles to it as I've learned more, but I, I start with what interests you. You can't get it all right away. You know that uh, start with what interests you and then, and then work with that. Um, so that's that's on a topical basis. Narrow the field down and don't worry about covering everything. You're not going to be able to do it. I can't still, after all these years, I still can't cover all the bases and I uh, get out of my ken to some degree. So uh, so that's one thing. Uh, secondly, and this goes to the issue of um, uh, the debate like I had with Deepak Chopra. I, um, I, I had a little sense in the direction the questions were going. Lee helped me out a little bit there. <clears throat> But even so, I, 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 I had to figure out what Deepak was all about and the kinds of things he might. I knew the topic and it was like the future of, of truth or future of religion or something like that. And so I knew in general, and so did he, where we were going. And then I just had to figure out, like you said, uh, well, if they say this, I say this. You, that's what you do have to do in a circumstance like that. And there's actually nothing wrong with that. Because after a while, those kind you work with that, those things get internalized. And mm. I do have that in the tactics book. And I'm actually just finishing a manuscript, God willing, this week, that uh, on an, a new work that'll be out next summer, where I go into that kind of approach in more detail. So it's called Street Smarts. And it's using the subtitle is using questions to answer Christianity's toughest challenges. So you encounter a, an atheist, okay? You have to know in your head, what are the liabilities of atheism? What are the problems? <clears throat> and, and once you know them, then you can construct a kind of a little step-by-step set of questions or engagement that will allow you to exploit or employ your understanding of the problems with atheism in a, con- in a conversation. And this is where the tactical steps actually come in. In this book, I take the tactical steps I taught in the 
last book, the tactics book, <clears throat> and I I play them out with certain topics, okay, like atheism or with the problem of evil or with science and Christianity or with problems in the Bible or abortion or homosexuality, gender, and all of that, okay? Oh, first you got to figure out the answers to these things. And I spend time in the chapters doing that. And this is what you got to do. You can't face guys who oppose you unless you know their views and what's wrong with them. You can't face them successfully. Yeah. And this is where the preparation is really critical. And so I, I do research. I write questions out. I think, okay, I know I, I debated Michael Shermer. And uh, I listened to a number of debates of Michael's. And I and he does the same thing every time. He does exactly the same thing every time. Hmm. And so I, I know what I'm going to face. And so what I since I know what he's going to say, I can prepare a response. So I'll give you an example of this. Okay. Yeah, please. Um, Michael Shermer always raises the issue. He says, well, who created God? And a, a lot of really smart people raise that dumb question. Yeah. Okay. that's Man, Greg, I, I never thought about that. Who who did create God? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you, you got me. I'm stumped. Okay. Now, um, this is an example of complex question, by the way. Mm -hmm. In other words, it presumes an answer to a prior question. Right. Like, have, are you still beating your wife is a classic example. Yeah. Well, that presumes you're beating your wife. But the question of who created God presumes that God was created. Now you're asking who did that. But our, the classical Christian view is that God's eternal. It, it's not even a question that applies to us. Mm -hmm. And there's no reason it would apply to us. And people who are reasonable, thoughtful, would never ask such a question because it's, it's, a, it's so, okay, I know I'm going to face this. Okay, so here's what I thought to say. And actually, I was able to use it. Um, Michael raised the issue. And I said, Michael, you don't believe God was created because you're an atheist. I don't believe God was created because he's eternal. Nobody in this conversation believes God was created. So why are you asking who created him? Okay, now notice how I ended with a question. That tosses the ball back in his court. Oh, that's, that's the good. tactical maneuver. Yeah. But it, the, that issue was over with by the way that I addressed it. How did he reply? I don't remember. Okay. I, don't, I, I need to watch that. How would anybody reply? <laughs> I, it, it, it's We make an argument for God based on the, the beginning of the universe. It's a cosmological argument, mm -hmm. uh, classically known as the Kalam cosmological argument. Things that come into being have a cause. I mean, that's the foundation of that. And the response is, well, then who created God? Well, wait a minute. Our view is those things that come into being have a cause, like the universe. But who thinks, who on the planet believes that if there is the kind of God that we believe in, he's the kind of God who needed a creator? Nobody believes that. Yeah. No atheist believes that rhetoric. This is all this is. Good. It's, it's, yeah. it's foot play, you know. And so if you think about it in advance, you're aware of it, you won't get caught. How many corners does the circle have? Yeah, that's right. How many wives does the bachelor have? I, yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. Exactly. Hey, before we move on to part two, I need to ask your help. We have launched the Think Institute as a nonprofit ministry. That means we must raise financial support to cover salaries and ministry expenses. We have a broad group of people who help with this that we call our ministry partners. We're asking listeners of Worldview Legacy to consider joining our team. If you have benefited from this show, please help keep us going. I'm asking you to give your best gift tax-free right now at thethink.institute slash partner. That's thethink.institute slash partner. Thank you so much for your help. 
Thanks for listening and stay based by God's grace. You might be best known for the Columbo tactic, which it's really regrettable that more people aren't watching Columbo these days. Because <laughs> get him. He's he's on the you can go to YouTube. You can find Oh, him. absolutely. And you can watch him. I think he's on um he's yeah, you can night. he's yeah, and he's streaming too. I've 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 definitely watched several episodes recently. Yeah. Um can you tell us for those for our listener who is unaware of the Colombo yeah. tactic. You've you've already kind of fleshed it out. Could you give us the the uh, a brief introduction to that and then yeah, of course. And, how'd and you develop it? I used the name uh Colombo tactic because of the TV character and I developed this moniker about 20 years ago when he was a little better known. We just passed the 50th anniversary of that program. And uh, here it's a de- murder detective called Detective Colombo and uh, th- he is a he's a uninspiring looking individual okay shows up at the crime scene he's got a rumpled trench coat and by the way when i do this on stage i put my trench coat on it's got a cigar i pull my cigar out you know so i do the deal and uh and 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 he 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 looks like he can't think his way out of a wet paper bag right he's just he's walking around mumbling to himself scratching his head like really confused right and then he says trademark move there's something about this thing that bothers me do you mind if I ask you a question, right? So he asked the question and then he goes, okay, one more thing. And then he, one more things him to death, right? With these question after question after question. And the, the idea here is that what Lieutenant Colombo is doing is he's first gathering information, but now he's starting to figure things out, but he's not accusing anybody. He's coming in under the radar. He's not scary. Don't have to take this guy ser- seriously. Okay. The bad guy, we know who the bad guy is the way the film show is set up the murderer right from the very beginning and uh and and he's not taking he's not worried about colombo until colombo gets him and then it's over with and so the idea here is two things with colombo you have a a a a a game plan so to speak where you're using questions to gather information to prevent to create a foundation for you all right and also another thing that colombo's doing doing is he's 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 enlisting the murderer or who the person he thinks is the murderer as an ally by the kinds of questions he asks. Then the guy gives him all this information. Yeah. Okay. And uh, of course, the, the pieces don't fit together because the guy's guilty and he's lying. And so, and at the end, right. But there's also a, a kind of a stylistic thing, and that is the unassuming, innocent looking, uh, non threatening approach of a guy just, you know, something about this thing bothers me. Help me, uh, help me understand this. <clears throat> and I think that's a very good style when we're in conversations with people about issues that could be very controversial. So we just r- relax. By the way, when we, ha- when we adopt that style, it makes it a lot easier for us. How so? It's much more relaxing. It's just more s- simple. Let me ask you a question about this. You know, if I were to talk with you, Joel, I said, um, you said something a while ago, and I'm not entirely clear on what you what you meant by that. Could you help me on help me understand that? Oh, sure, Joel. You want to tell me your point of view? You're ready to talk about it, so you talk about it. Now I'm listening. Yeah. And I may ask more questions, but I'm gathering information now because I know that even though you're reject Christian theism, you're a human being made in the image of God and you live in God's world. And you're going to start popping out with things that are not going to fit your worldview that are going to fit mine. And I can now use them. Well, why? you said this thing. I thought you were an atheist. Yeah, I am. Well, but you say the God of the Bible is evil. Well, where are you getting the 
standard to judge him by. I'm confused about that. Now it's their their turn. Okay, now what? See this crickets right there, the silence. That's what happens a lot of times. You, yeah. I call it Simon and Garfunkel moment. Those guys who wrote <laughs> the songs, Sounds of Silence, 1966. Yeah. They're still alive, by the way, but they're really, really old. They're older than me. So, um, so this is kind of how sometimes the why I, I chose Columbo because I, I did not think of the idea from Columbo. I I was using these things myself, and I realized Columbo is a great characterization of it. So there's a there's a um, a, a heuristic value, a teaching instructional value. So now they got a picture of somebody. And even if they don't know who it, Columbo is, and I was at the uh, uh, University of Texas a couple of years ago and given a talk about Columbo as a Christian group. And uh, how many people have heard of Lieutenant Columbo? Not a single hand went up, not a oh, single no. one, undergrads, right? Not a single hand. Okay, but then I get, I do my thing and I do my characterization and it's a lot of fun and they're laughing because I pull my cigar out and all this and I speak into the mic and I do my little impersonation and then I go on with the tactics. So it becomes, it's a tool to help um, teach the tactic in a more memorable fashion. So uh, that's Lieutenant Colombo. So what's the story of, uh, well, I guess you said how you, how you developed it. Um, what are some other questions that you use in that information gathering phase? Well, it, the questions um, in the game plan, they they are, I have in the first, there's three steps. And in the first two steps, I have model questions that fit the maneuver, the, the purpose of that step, all right? But these are flexible questions. And I mentioned them earlier, so I'll just repeat them because they're really important. The first question you're going to gather, the first thing you're going to do in any conversation before you think about anything else, don't think about sharing the gospel, don't think about winning people to Christ, don't think about objections that may come up, don't think about any of that. You're way ahead of the game and you're just complicating it. Hmm. Just think about gathering information. You're going to need some intel. Okay, you're in a new country, you're looking around trying to figure things out. What is the lay of the land? How do you do that? You ask questions and you ask questions to gather information. And the key question that I suggest is some form of the question, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? Okay, so so uh, when when I ask the atheist, hey, where are you where, where are you getting your you think God is bad? Well, that's confusing. You're an atheist, right? Well, where where are you getting the standard? to judge God as bad, given your atheism. That's confusing to me. Okay, now that's just a clarification question. It's just a what do you mean by that kind of question, all right? And um, and the second step, once they, if, if I'm talking about their worldview or their point of view and they lay it out and my questions give me a clear understanding of what they believe, now I wanna know why they believe it. Now, I think Lee calls this the golden rule of apologetics that you you ask of them the way they ask of you. Um, they're always asking you why. Why can't we ask them why? Yeah. And uh, the key here, of course, is if we're asking those kinds of questions to get deeper understanding about the view, we don't have any burden on us. It's easy. It's We're relaxed. We're listening. It's a pleasant conversation. And I, I, I don't know where I'm going to go from here because I don't know what they're going to say. Yeah. But I determine where I'm going to go uh, based on what they do say. Okay. And so that's kind of how this plays out. And so if they say, I, I'm an atheist, then I would say, why? What are your reasons? Or, or I, the, Bible's, the Bible's been changed. What we have now is not the same as what was written 2,000 years ago. Really? How'd you find that out? So this is a variation of the question, how did you come to that conclusion? Hmm. All right. 
So you keep the model question in your head, but then you you modify it for the circumstances that you're facing. Yeah. How does that work here? Okay. And um, and and the, the third step, those by the way, those are basics. Anybody can do that. You don't need any skill. You don't need any theology, no philosophy, no apologetics. Right. Okay. But I'll tell you something, Joel. It, it, uh, and this is something you can take to the bank. If you just become a student of a person's point of view with those two questions, you will be absolutely amazed at what God does, even though you're not witnessing with apologetics. Hmm. Okay, because my 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 goal in any conversation is to try to is to what I call it, put a stone in their shoe. I want to get them thinking. That's all. I'm not looking to close the deal. I don't know where it's going to go. I may not even get to the gospel, but I want to say something that gets them thinking to question their own view maybe or maybe to think more positively about the christian view okay that's, that's it so my 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 bar is low for me and and you it's just amazing i'll give you one illustration what i was going to say it's amazing how just these questions are powerful enough to get people really thinking hard about their own view okay so i'm in seattle uh, two years ago, I had just done uh, a Friday night and an all day say all all day Saturday conference. I think Lee might have been. I'm no, I'm not sure. There were other guys that were there, but I worked hard. Sunday morning, I'm going to preach at a local um, Calvary Chapel. I'm in a hotel. I'm leaving early, grabbing a coffee and a bite to to eat. I'm on way out. And uh, just for the record, I'm not a morning person. Okay, so I, I'm not. I'm sitting down and I do not want to talk about. God. I do not want to talk about Jesus. I do not want to talk about the gospel. I don't want to talk. I just want to order my scrambled eggs and my toast and my coffee and be left alone. And this waitress comes up to me and she's far too energetic for that time of day for me. And she's asking, oh, how are you doing? And doing all this number. And what are you doing in Seattle? And why are you? And I, so I figure I'll get rid of her. I'll tell her I'm going to go preach in a church. <laughs> I think that'll get rid of her, right? No, she says, oh, that's great. I said, that's great. I'm thinking in my mind, that's great. Oh, maybe she's a Christian. Are you a Christian? So I'm asking for clarification. Now notice, I am not trying to witness, but I can't help but asking the clarification question. Right. Are you a Christian? No, no, I'm not a Christian. I used to be a Christian, but I'm not. She says that. She said, now the universe takes care of me. That's what she said. See, so, so look in your face. It's yeah. like, that's what I thought, huh? Yeah. What's that? And that's what I I said, the, you know, how does the universe take care of you? Is the universe a person? I just asked that. She said, no, the universe is not a person. I said, well, how can the universe take care of you? And then she's thinking. She said, well, God takes care of me. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. I got it. And then she says, God is the universe. Okay. And I'm thinking, huh? So I asked her, how is God the universe? I just asked her that. And again, remember, I'm not trying to trap her. I'm not trying to witness. I'm, I just... I don't know what she's talking about. And I'm just asking for clarification. So she gets, she, she continues with a, a, some more of the, this really a new age mumbo jumbo. And, and I, I don't mean to be disparaging, but it, it just didn't make any sense. And a lot of times you talk to new age people, this is the comment I made about Deepak Chopra. It just, what's, what does he mean? I don't know. So finally she left. Thank God she's gone. She got my eggs, coffee, whatever. And I'll tell you, here's the postscript. Here's the payoff. She comes up to my table to give me the check. And she says this, nobody has ever asked me any questions about my view before. And then she says, and that got me thinking. And it got me thinking. 
And of course, that's my goal with the tech. I just want to get them thinking. I, yeah. I, I want to put a stone in their shoe. If I can go further, great. But if that's all I do, good. I'm a happy camper. All right. She said, it got me thinking. And uh, and then I said to her, well, I have to leave. But if if um, if I had more time, I could ask you more questions and you could do more thinking is what I said to her. Um, and so, uh, but there's an example. Here's a, I didn't even want to talk about God. But I'm employing the first step of the game plan just because I'm confused about what she she's saying. And God used it. Now, it turned out I had a copy of uh, Story of Reality, uh, which is a book on basic Christianity that I wrote. You know, it's a worldview. Let me see if I get out there. There you go. Uh, and um, I had it in my bag. I always carry one with me. And so I, I said, if, if I gave you a book, would you be interested in reading it? And then I told her, if you don't if you say no, you're not going to hurt my feelings. She said, Sure. And so I gave her the book. She said, oh, thank you. And I said, uh, by the way, I wrote that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. She's really, can you sign it? And so I figured that guaranteed that she was going to read it. But at least I was able to leave something behind that has some substance about the Christian worldview that maybe God will use after I'm completely out of her life. Yeah. There's a just there's a, one of many examples I could give you that uh, of how God used just the first step of the game plan even when I wasn't trying. Hmm. And the people who even say want to try out the first couple of steps and stay in the shallow end of the pool, um, I'm basically promising you, you'll be amazed about what God will do if you just start doing this. Just the first two steps. So something else that I really enjoyed in your book is something, Greg, this is something that I've internalized myself. I will tell you, I actually forgot that I learned this from your book. I've just been doing this <laughs> since I learned it. And that is pitting the challenger against Jesus rather than oh, against yep. you. Right. Can you talk to us about that? And right. how did you come up with that? Yeah. Well, um, that was my approach, my strategic approach in dealing with Deepak Chopra. I mean, I made a conscious thought. You, yes. you, I mentioned you, you some preparation. You're, you're thinking about uh, the questions that might come up and then how you might respond in principle, at least. So you've, you've got a head start on that. But I also had a, a strategic approach. Now, uh, Deepak Chopra is the 20 million books at the time. Uh, he's the best known New Age guru in the world. He's been everywhere. Everybody knows him um, who's interested in that kind of stuff. And Greg Kokel is... Who? Who is this guy? Okay. <laughs> so uh, so this is Deepak Chopra, or let me just say Deepak, because he's one of the few people in the world that is recognizable as himself just by his first name. Okay. So here's Deepak and, uh, and, and, no, and nobody. So uh, I realize that I'm at a strategic disadvantage right, at the, right out of the gate. And this is why, as I mentioned earlier, I think I made a choice not to call him Deepak, but uh, there was an interview I had just before this one. So um, maybe I'm reflecting back in the earlier interview, but I made a choice. I'm not going to talk, call him Deepak. I'm not going to play to his brand. I'm going to call him Dr. Chopra. How, how, how can you explain that? How well, so? well, Deepak is his brand. He's, he's Deepak. Okay. His first, his, 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 like, like share Bono, share, like sure. Rush Limbaugh, Rush. You know, there are people whose first name is their brand. Okay. Okay, that's their strength, all right? Deepak is like that. You just say his name and people know who that is, mm. right? So why should I say, okay, Deepak, which 
first of all, is a, a familiar way to address him. And it might seem inappropriate because he's, you know, um, and it is also playing into his strength, okay. his brand. So I'm not going to do that. I'm going to call him deep Dr. Chopra every time. So what am I doing? I'm being polite and deferential to the good doctor and I'm not playing into his brand. So that's a strategic move. But the other thing is I did not want to pit Dr. Chopra against Greg Kokel because I'm going to lose. All right. I mean, just in a, in a sense, because of the branding and name recognition. And sure. everything like that. I wanted to pit Dr. Chopra against Jesus of Nazareth. Yeah. Okay. So Dr. Chopra would say this. I said, well, um, this is Dr. Chopra's view, but this is Jesus' view. And I don't, I, I haven't looked at the video in a long time. So I don't know how many times I actually made that move, but that was part of my strategy. Pit him against Jesus, not against me. Now he is deferential to Jesus as most people are. And he even said, and here's where uh, I missed an opportunity. He said he keeps the, he keeps a copy of the Sermon on the Mount in his pocket everywhere he goes. Right. I should have. I could have said, "Oh yeah, can I see it?" Because ooh, what I I just watched it today, and I was thinking, I'm like, I'm like, there's no way. It would have been amazing if you had. I totally understand why you didn't. But yeah. if you had said, it said, "Oh uh, yeah, where where is it? I'd love to take a look." Yeah, okay. But I'll t here's what I missed though. Later on, somewhere in the conversation, he's late dating the Gospels, and he is, and he's, is saying you can't trust what you read in the Gospels because it's been changed. And it's, he called it like the thirteenth iteration or something like the that. The nineteenth, the King James version is the nineteenth iteration of yeah, the New okay. Testament. You yeah. remember it better than I do because you're just watching. It, I just but watched. It. Yeah. I don't even know. And that's when I asked him, "What does he mean?" I think I asked him about his what iteration. Now I knew what he was getting at in general, but he's 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 offering this information to disqualify. The, uh, the the Bible as a source of information, all right? But wait a minute. This is the guy who just said that he keeps a chunk of that thing in his pocket. Right. Now, that's why I could have said, now I'm confused, Dr. Chopra. You're saying right now you can't rely on the information, right? But you also told us earlier that you're carrying a chunk of that information in your pocket because it's so great as a characterization of Jesus' teachings. So is it reliable or not? I'm, I'm, help me understand this. Now, it's a fair question. I, I could have asked that, and I would have, because I don't think that would have been uncharitable. But um, uh, like it would might have been uncharitable to say, oh, produce it. Yeah. Liar, liar, pants on fire. That's okay. But to point out the inconsistency would have been appropriate. I forgot that. I, I missed it. I didn't catch it until later. Mm. I thought about it later. But uh, uh, there's an example of how a person just makes a, a faux pas, a mistake, and I just missed it. Okay, that's all right. But uh, that's the kind of thing in those circumstances you want to be alert for, but you don't catch them all. You catch them after it's all over and you go, oh, man, I missed my opportunity. Yeah. But um, so the, 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 um, the maneuver here is to, uh, I call it, what a friend we have in Jesus. That's the, uh, that's the, um, the title of the tactic. So you let Jesus do your fighting for you. Okay, so Jesus, people say, oh, you're bigoted Christians. What do you mean bigoted? Notice the question. What do you mean by that? Well, you think your way is the only way. Well, actually, that's not my view. That's Jesus' view. Jesus was the one who said, do you think Jesus is wrong? Oh, now they got to say that Jesus is wrong, not Kokel is wrong, which was the maneuver I was trying to do with, with Dr. Chopra. Uh, or one time somebody s sent us a note, their daughter, this was uh, about five years ago or six years ago, before Obergefell, SCOTUS, the Supreme Court decision about same-sex marriage. 
and uh, and a, a contestants for beauty contests were being asked about their views about same-sex marriage. And so a father is writes us and he says, my daughter's going to be in a statewide beauty pageant. And I know they're going to ask this question. How can she answer it and still keep her uh, keep her integrity? And and so I said, here's how you do. And I think it's this is in the 10th anniversary. I do make a reference to this under the category of what a friend we have in Jesus. And I said, you have your daughter say when they say, what is your view of marriage? Uh, what do you think of same sex marriage? However, the question goes, you say, I have the same view of marriage that Jesus has. And then they say, well, what view is that? They say, you can find it in Matthew 19, and I'll just sum it up for you. And this is the way I sum it. It's very summarized. It's very easy to remember. Jesus' view is one man with one woman becoming one flesh for one lifetime. One man with one woman. Notice that's binary sexuality, by mm -hmm. the way. Because yeah. he's gone all the way back to the beginning. Yeah. He's gone back to Genesis chapter 2. One man with one woman becoming one flesh for one lifetime. That's my view. I just let it lie. So then if people object, now they're objecting to Jesus. I don't actually know how that played out for her, but uh, that would my counsel, and I think it's still good counsel today. Uh, let, let them fight against Jesus. Love it. That's wonderful. Thank you. Um, what, what is your, what is the best place people can go to find out about more of your work and where do you want to send our listener to? Yeah, uh, the simplest place to go to our website. Uh, the organization that uh, that I serve is called Stand to Reason. The acronym is STR. So there's your website, str.org. And um, it's a great website. I, I can't claim credit for it because I have amazing team. Uh, I've provided a lot of intellectual property there, but so a lot of team members. We got so much articles, videos, uh, training tools, um, all kinds of stuff. So I just in invite people to go there and explore around and take a look and see what's there and then make this uh, maybe a daily watering hole because we have blogs, uh, we have video blogs, we have my own po podcast broadcasts. We, we actually do five Let's see. Uh, we do four things a week, two separate hours of, of one hour call in radio style and then uh, two 30 minute segments uh, uh, where where Amy Hall and I work together answering questions that people send in. That's called STR Ask, hashtag STR Ask. So uh, I, those are, I think, great resources, and they're not burdensome. Like I said, the, the STR Ask is like 30 minutes less, and then the other shows are one hour each. So um, uh, I used to do three hours all at once, and that's like one L.A. commute. So <laughs> depending on where you live. But uh, that's what I would suggest, str.org, and if people like the kind of things that we talked about together, um, then the, you'll probably like the podcast. And Wonderful. Well, Greg Kogel, thank you so much for joining me. It's my pleasure. You did a great job, and I, I love chatting with you. Thank you so much. So now you know. Greg Kogel is not a presuppositionalist, but his tactics do work really well with a presuppositionalist approach. Greg debated Deepak Chopra without playing to Dr. Chopra's brand. Remember, he called him Dr. Chopra instead of Deepak. And he didn't let him off the hook on his claims about God. He pitted Dr. Chopra against Jesus, not himself, which is one of the tactics we learned today. 
Greg briefly shared about how to prepare to debate someone with unconventional views. You have to research and you have to approach the person with respect. And the fact is you just, you might not be adequately prepared. You just have to run with it anyway. Even if you think the person's views are bizarre or laughable, you can't allow yourself to think that way. You have to go in with respect. And in part two, you heard about how to use the Columbo tactic in apologetics by asking questions to draw out information. And we talked about those two key questions. What do you mean by that? And how did you come to that conclusion? I've been using these myself all the time and they really do work great. You also heard about how to use the inside out tactic. Now this one might have been familiar with you or familiar to you if you already know about presuppositional apologetics or if you've been listening to this show, it's a reductio a reductio ad absurdum. You are reducing the non-Christian position to absurdity by exposing its internal contradiction. Really great stuff. I know Greg says he's not a presuppositionalist, but clearly this tactic is very presup friendly. And finally, you heard about the what a friend we have in Jesus tactic. This is when you pit your opponent, not against yourself and your opinions, but against Jesus of Nazareth. To use this one, you have to know what Jesus actually said and what he did and taught. And so the more you study the Gospels, the better you will get at using this tactic. Now, to learn more from Greg Kokel, go to str.org. That's str for stand to reason.org. And check out the str ask resources. Greg has really helped me out, and I know his work is going to benefit you too as you seek to leave a worldview legacy in your family, in your church, and in your local area. Now, if you want to build that worldview legacy for your family, it's time to join the Think Squad group. Now is the perfect time to become the worldview leader that your family and your church need. All you have to do is open up Facebook and search for Think Squad. That's T-H-I-N-K-S-Q-U-A-D. Answer these short membership questions, and that is all it takes. Thank you for listening to Worldview Legacy. Thank you to Greg Kokel for joining me today. This episode was produced by yours truly, Joel Sedekes, and is a production of the Think Institute. We equip believers to explain, share, and defend the Christian message, and we are based by God's grace. If you're not a Christian listening, you ought to become a Christian. And I'll tell you why, because you're going to stand before God someday. And that's a fact. And you're going to have to account for your life. And if Jesus doesn't pay for your crimes against God, and they are crimes, then you're going to have to pay. And that's going to take forever. All right. That's not a, I'm sorry. It sounds like hellfire brimstone, but I wouldn't be doing you a favor if I didn't tell you the truth. That is the truth.